If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome to another expert episode of the podcast. Today, I am so excited to introduce you guys, or many of you may already know, Logan Yuri, who is a behavioral scientist turned dating coach, and she is the director of relationship science at Hinge and also the author of the book, How to Not Die Alone, which I highly, highly recommend. And I Logan approaches dating and relationships with science. She has done so much great research around dating and relationships. And I get pitched a lot to have dating experts come on the show. And I'm very particular about this just because I think there's so much gimmicky advice out there. And so I was very, very excited when Logan said she would come on the show We talked a lot about common misconceptions around dating, this idea of do you need to feel a spark with someone when you're dating them? We talked about how dating has changed. She started at Hinge in March 2020, which we all know what happened then, but how it's changed in the last five years, the last two and a half years since COVID happened. We talked about how to put your best self out there on on dates, how to ask the hard-hitting questions to make sure that the person you're on a date with is on the same wavelength as you and has the same goals as you. This episode is full of such great dating advice and probably in a way that you wouldn't necessarily think about it. You know, we're not talking about like, when's the right time to send a message for a second date? It's really just about how to approach dating differently. She busts a lot of myths, the like, the idea that dating is a numbers game. She really disagrees with that, and you'll find out why within the episode. So for any of you guys who are beginning to think about dating, and honestly, I would say even if you're not necessarily thinking about dating, I just think this is like a great perspective to approach that with when you're ready to get to that point. So again, I highly recommend her book. She also has a coaching program. So all of the links will be in the show notes, and I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. Welcome, Logan, to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. It is such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. 
I had mentioned in my message when I asked you to be on the show, but I had quite a few people recommend you and then, you know, getting to know your work myself and looking at your page, I was very excited to have you on. I feel like your your background and your approach is so unique and I feel like will be very refreshing to all of the listeners. Yay. All right. I'll do my best. <laughs> Could you start off by sharing your background of what led you to this place? I think it's such a, a very cool journey that you've been on. Yeah. So, you know, right now I apply data and research to dating and relationships and really helping people find the person who they want to be with and figure out their blind spots and what's holding them back. And currently what I do is I work at Hinge as the director of relationship science, which means I get to do a lot of cool research into dating. I also do one-on-one dating coaching. I also teach a class on dating called Propel. And I wrote a book called How to Not Die Alone. But of course, you know, I didn't study dating in college. And, you know, there is the question of of how do you get here? And sometimes, you know, I just feel really lucky. But for me, I've always had these two interests. I've been really interested in psychology and how people think and make decisions. Then I've been really interested in dating, sex and relationships. And at different points in my life, they've taken on different forms. So, for example, when I was in college, I studied psychology, but I had this fun experience where I wrote a big paper on porn. It was called Porn to be Wild. And I got to interview people about their porn habits. And I think that was my first time kind of dipping my toes in and being like, oh, like if you're doing research, you get to ask people like really personal questions. Yeah. And it's so interesting. And, you know, I'm learning all this stuff and I get to ask taboo things. I feel like that was my first time being like, wow, I, I do think that I have a knack for this where I can make people comfortable. I can ask these questions. And then it really is like so endlessly interesting to me to learn about really how people's minds work and desire and things like that. And then I ended up going to Google after college and I had the chance to work on this team that was all about behavioral science, which is the study of how people make decisions. So, you know, if you're signing up for a website, why do you continue versus stop? And what makes you open an email and things like that? And so I then realized, you know, I had this interest in dating and relationships. How can I apply what I know, behavioral science to dating and relationships. And so that's what I've sort of been doing ever since. And so, you know, I I took a couple of different routes. I worked at Google, I worked at Airbnb, I was a TED resident, but really everything came together when I wrote my book, because that was when I got to do a lot of original research. I got to interview many people. I gave the examples from my coaching. And so it's really like, I've always had this passion for these topics. And then I found different ways to weave them together. And now they really take this form of the job at Hinge and you know, writing my newsletter. And I'm just constantly trying to find ways to help people find love by understanding their psychology. That's so interesting. And and I feel like there has been a shift more in looking at dating and relationships from the background of, of psychology instead of, I don't know, obviously there was very different advice for dating totally. five years ago, 10 years ago, definitely 20 years ago. Have you seen any really big shifts in dating and relationships in, let's say, like the last five years? Yeah. So one thing that's been really interesting is that I started at Hinge in March 2020. And so it was like literally my, yeah, I know. So like literally (laughs) my first week there, because Hinge is based in New York, 
I was in the office. Then basically like the country shut down. I flew home early and then, you know, I didn't leave my house for a long time. And so I've had the chance to research how dating has changed throughout the pandemic. And so I think that there's been interesting cultural shifts in the last five years, but also specifically the last two and a half years. I think the pandemic did have some big changes. One of the big ones that we've researched at Hinge is about mental health. And so I guess about maybe around this time last year, I was talking to this male client. I think he was maybe 27 and he was telling me about dates and he was like, yeah, you know, I often get first dates, but I don't get second dates. And I was trying to figure out why. And I was like, well, what do you talk about? And he mostly talked about work. I was like, all right, you know, there's so much more to you than work. What about what you're reading? And he's like, oh, I wouldn't talk about what I was reading because I read a lot of self-help books and psychology books. And I wouldn't want somebody to think that there was anything wrong with me. And it sparked this thing inside me where I was like, wait, I feel like women would be really excited to know that you are into this and that you go to therapy and all of that. And so we conducted this great research at Hinge that looked at that. And what we found was that almost 90% of people would rather date someone who's in therapy. In fact, if you mention on the first date that you go to therapy, someone wants to go on a second date with you even more, but then only 8% of people bring up therapy on a first date. And so it felt like there was this really interesting thing where it's like pandemic was really hard. People had a tough time. You had to be resilient. And many of us had to invest in our mental health, but it still feels stigmatized. And so I've just seen such a major shift in how we talk about mental health. Like, I'm sure you see the same thing, but on Instagram, it's like every account is like, you know, POV, my anxiety when I'm trying to respond to a text or like just everything is about like anxiety, depression, all of these different mental health things. And I think talking about it has been destigmatized. But really, when you're on dates, people want to date someone who's gone to therapy and quote unquote done the work. And so that's one major shift that I'm really excited about. Even like anecdotally, personally, I got sober almost 10 years ago and I haven't dated in a long time. But when I was dating back on dating apps, I remember it was this very terrifying thing because everyone's like, do you want to meet for drinks? And I would have to be like, like, I don't want to be like, I'm an alcoholic, you know, and yeah, that totally. whole thing. And there were times where like, when I said I didn't drink that, like ended the conversation, like we never went on a date. But I feel like if I were to step into the dating scene now, just in the last, you know, few years, like the even just not even people who are recovering alcoholics, but like, there's like this big sober curious movement. Totally. And like a lot like people are way more understanding and into that kind of stuff. So I just feel like that's been a big shift, even, you know, just stuff that I've observed. Yeah, I love that you said that because my mental health project was like the big thing that I worked on around the turn of 2022. And then this summer, my big project was about sober dating. And it was about how people are just so much more open to sober dates and Gen Z are twice as likely to want a first date to be sober. And there's so many reasons why they feel like I want to be in the right state of mind when I meet you. You know, I want to know, do I really like you or do I like this cocktail? They feel like they get anxiety the next day and, you know, this, this, these different hangovers that they don't want. And so there's a huge push towards sober dating and with inflation, dates are really expensive. Yeah. So 30% of people say, oh, I'd rather go on a sober date because it's cheaper. And so anyway, I think it goes along with the mental health thing. It's like, if it used to be a two drink minimum and let's get really drunk and make out now it's more like, Hey, I want to meet the real you. And part of that for me is being sober on the date. Yeah. I mean, and and I feel like there's another trend is like 
mental health walks. And like, I just feel like even mm-hmm. in clients that I had, especially during the pandemic, like a lot of their first dates were going on, mm-hmm. like just meeting to go for a walk, which I feel like was never, never used to be a thing. Yeah, that's exactly what we found that like that two drink minimum or that the go to first date has to be drinking. The pandemic changed that because you couldn't go to a bar and so so now it's like way more comfortable to be like, you know, let's grab ice cream and go for a walk. And people don't think that that's so strange anymore. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of what you talk about and a lot of what your book is, is this idea of like kind of squashing like misconceptions Mm -hmm. around like finding a partner. I'm sure there are so many, but could you maybe talk about just some of the most common misconceptions that people have when it comes to dating to find a partner? Sure. Yeah. So this is something I was talking about with some friends this weekend. I was backpacking with a couple and it's one of my closest friends and then my husband's best friend and he set them up and we were talking about whether in your 20s people date to be in a relationship or they just date to have fun. And I was telling them about the part of my book where I talk about go after the life partner, not the prom date. And so the idea is that, you know, when you're 17 and you're going to prom, like, what do you look for in a prom date? Oh, he's cute. He'd be fun on the dance floor. He'd look good in pictures. We can hook up at the end of the night, right? You're not asking big questions like, will he be my teammate? Will we split chores equitably? Will he pick up my kids from the dentist during the workday? And that's fine. You don't have to worry about that at 17. But as you get older, you need to start dating differently and you need to look for not the prom date, but the life partner. And that's the person who has those qualities, who's reliable, who's honest, who's loyal, who's going to build a life with you. I feel like one of the big issues is that people never make that switch. So they're in their mid thirties and they're still dating the prom date or, you know, I have one client who calls it, you know, the Navy SEAL, which is like the hot, dangerous guy where they have explosive sex, but he never calls her. You know, I have other clients that have these people that they are so attached to, but just aren't good for them. And so I think one of the big things is really having a moment where you say like, I want to get married. I want to have a family. And part of that is finding someone who's on that path too. And that means switching to date someone who takes themselves more seriously, who takes me more seriously, and I need to take myself more seriously. And so one of the big things is that shift. Another big one I would say is going against the type. I've now heard this called untyping, but I'm really passionate about this one where it's like, So often when I have a client I've been working with and after a while they're like, Logan, I met this girl, but she's not really the type I usually go for. In my head, I'm like, ding, ding, ding. Like, this is the one that's going to work because what I think is like, what they mean is like this type that I've been pursuing that's actually the wrong type for me and doesn't work out for me or triggers my anxiety or this and that. Now I'm actually dating a person who does work for me. And so, so often it's about expanding your filters, expanding your mindset and going against type and realizing that that's actually the person who could make you happiest long-term. Yeah. I feel like that's not a question that's asked as often, like what's your type necessarily? Uh Cause I feel like it's, I don't know, we're starting to kind of break out of that mold, but I think one thing that was actually asked in one of my membership group Q and A's this week was about like the spark, the mm-hmm. fireworks, like the almost the addiction to that, like spark fireworks kind of feeling. Is that something that you feel like is, you know, more associated with the prom date? Like, what are your thoughts on like the spark? Yeah, definitely associated with the prom date. And I think that's a great way of putting it. And something that I've been enthusiastic about putting out to the universe is this idea of fuck the spark. 
And basically it's the idea that so often people will meet someone who's really great and they get along with so well. And this person makes them laugh and makes them feel good and all this stuff. And then they say, oh, I'm not going to date them again because I didn't feel the spark. And I've come to understand that it's this idea where they're like, oh, I expect that if this is the right person for me, there's going to be this moment where the world stops and I hear Celine Dion playing and I see unicorns and butterflies. And that's just not very realistic. That's what a Disney movie or a rom-com shows you. But so many of the best couples I know, you know, they met networking for a job or they lived in the same dorm or they talked to each other every day for a year at the dog park. Like what I call these slow burn relationships where you get to know the people over time and they grow on you. And so the issue with the spark is that sure, the spark feels great. I've definitely had the spark with people, but if you think that that's what you need as a prerequisite for love, then you're really going to chase the wrong people because some of the people are almost like they have that movie star quality where they give the spark to so many people, but that's actually more about how hot or charismatic they are. Or maybe it's that they're avoidant attached. Should they give you anxiety that you confuse as butterflies? And so I've really become very skeptical of the spark. And I love getting DMs that are like, I went on a date with this guy. I didn't feel the spark. I listened to your advice about going on the second date and he got so much more interesting. He really opened up, you know, he's a diamond in the rough and I wouldn't have paid attention to him if I had just been looking for that spark. And so I really feel like there are a lot of great people out there that don't spark. And the way that you find them is by not optimizing for the spark. Yeah. And when you were saying about the anxious attachment, I, the spark for me used to be, it was just anxiety. Totally. (laughs) It was the I, you know, I was like a big like pursuer in relationships Mm -hmm. like that was exciting. I got a high for when like it worked out totally. And I've shared this on the podcast before, but I at one point asked my now husband, I asked if he was obsessed with me and he was like, (sighs) no. And I was at first I was like, what? And then I was like, I'm like, no, that's not what I want in relationships anymore. But Mm -hmm. at one point it was like, yeah, you either are obsessed or you're not in the relationship. And, you know, now being in more of a long term relationship, I feel like that's definitely not the case at all, especially now having kids where life just gets so hectic. It's like I don't want to date the the prom person. It's like I need someone who can partner with me on stuff. Totally. Yeah, I really relate to that. I was definitely I love that you called it the pursuer. I was definitely like that. I was like, let me prove my value to you. Let me go after what I want. If I show up all the time and create all these opportunities, like you'll like me. And I had breakfast this morning with a friend and he was telling me about this acquaintance of ours and how she's really doing that. Like she'll meet a guy and then be like, oh, like you're going in this trip. Cool. I'll go on the trip too. And like get really expensive hotels for us to stay in. And, you know, she's always there. And it's like, I felt actually like kind of ill hearing the story because it was just so similar to how I used to be. And it also made me feel sad for her. I was just like, no, like That's not how you get into a relationship by proving how useful you are or by always being around. And like, it's just really did make me feel uncomfortable because I was like, wow, I really was in that phase for a long time. Yeah, I specifically remember like skipping out on like either girls trips with friends or even like family trips because I was Mm -hmm. so afraid to not be like directly physically in front of the person I was dating. Because if I wasn't there, then I was you know, I would lose the entire relationship and wasted so much, like skipped out on a lot of stuff because of that desire in relationships. 
Yeah, I totally relate to that. And even the thing about like obsessing over someone, like I remember 10 or 11 years ago, you know, I stayed in this guy and he wasn't that nice to me. And I was just like obsessively think about him all the time. Like I remember going for a run and just like the whole time, like thinking about him and analyzing the situation. And like with my husband, he just doesn't make me feel anxious. And I really feel like I got 40% of my brain back. And it's not like I don't think about my husband. Like I totally do. And I, I love planning stuff for us and he's often on my mind and I text him all the time, but I'm not sitting there being like, is he interested in me? What did it mean when he said this? Like, he's just such a straightforward, secure person that I feel like in many ways, like I'm able to do what I do professionally. And I'm able to have a lot of deep friendships because I'm not sitting there so anxious about how he feels about me. And so like for anyone listening who's trapped in that, I would just be like, don't you want your brain back? Like, don't you want to use full access to it by not obsessing over someone and not sure if they like you? Like, find someone where you do know that they like you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. So just thinking if I was listening to this, is there any amount of like, well, someone will say, well, in the beginning, shouldn't it be like kind of anxious and all of that stuff is like, should there be any amount of like the jitters and all of Mm -hmm. that stuff in the beginning? Yeah, I think that there's a distinction between excitement and anxiety. So excitement Mm -hmm. could be like you go on a first date, you're walking home from the restaurant or the bar and you call your friend and you're like, wow, I met this guy. We actually have so many friends in common. He's so interesting. We shut down the bar. We were there for three hours. I'm really excited about him. Like all of those things are great. It's like you made a connection with someone, you had a human interaction and that could feel like a buzz that, you know, you can't fall asleep because you're so excited. 
I think the anxiety form of that is you have that really good date and then he doesn't text you for a few days and suddenly you're like, is he interested or not? And suddenly it's gone from like excitement at the connection to worry or fear that, oh, I misperceived the situation or he's actually not interested or did I say the wrong thing? He met someone else. And so I think it's like totally fine to have that feeling of this is a new person that I'm excited to get to know. When it veers into that anxiety mode, it's often that we don't know how somebody feels about us and it triggers something inside of us. And I know exactly what that feels like where you want to text them all the time and you're really worried and you know you want to be in touch because then you feel like you have more information. And so for me, there were two parts of the work. Part of it was getting more secure myself. So if I had some really anxious text I wanted to send, I would send it to my best friend and be like, this is what I want to say to him. And then she would just you know, laugh and or say like, good thing you sent it to me, not him. Yeah. And so having like other outlets or distracting myself. Then the most important thing was finding somebody who is secure. And with my husband, it was like all these years of pretty negative patterns changed. And so, for example, like I used to get in text fights with guys that I was dating, like they would do something that annoyed me. I would feel frustrated and I would, you know, peck away at the keyboard very angrily. And I knew like what would happen, we would get into a fight. And so when I started dating my husband and I did that, instead of responding and getting into a fight with me, he's like, hmm, seems like you're upset. We should probably talk about this in person. And when he said that, it was so mind blowing to me because I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I know how this goes. I send this, you send this, we fight. And the fact that he just like poked a hole in the balloon and blew it up, like a totally different thing happened. And I think that's like the message that I want to send people is if you've always done it one way, you don't even realize there's another way. But once you do it that other way, you're like, wow, this actually feels like really healthy. And so I think finding a secure partner and recognizing that they're not boring. They're not desperate. They are just secure about with themselves and how they feel about you. And it might not have that anxiety feeling, but it can still be very exciting and be excited about the fact that it's new and it's secure and it has like a better likelihood of working out. And I was watching something or listening to something and they talked about like, how do you know when they're the one and it, the mm-hmm. whole thing like, oh, you'll just, you'll just know or yeah. whatever that is. Sure. And if we're taking the like spark and the, these like big, dramatic fireworks out of the equation mm-hmm. like like what have you heard from people mm-hmm. that's like they know it's the one like because I know for me it's like this it's grounding it's not mm-hmm. like it's I not like a that. pie yeah. it's like deep like it's like a deep grounded feeling but I'm curious you know what you would say for that yeah I think this is one of the hardest things that people are dealing with right now because if you are going on a lot of dates you're like well, I had a pretty good time with him, but I'm more attracted to her and and stuff like that, right? Like there's all these different situations where it's hard to know. And I get this pushback on my book and my fuck the spark thing, which is, okay, so I didn't feel the spark on the first date and you're telling me to go on a second date, but how do I know if this person's a slow burn where they're going to get better over time? And how do I know if they're just sort of a dud and I'm not interested in them? And I think that's a super valid question. And so the answer that I've developed to that is... I have this checklist called the post-date eight, and it's questions that you ask yourself after the date. And so they are things like, how did I feel around this person? What side of me did they bring out? Did I feel energized or de-energized? Did I laugh? You know, did I feel captivated? And the point of that is that instead of going on a date and only saying, did I feel the spark or not? 
And instead of going on a date and saying, what college did they go to? What job do they have? Do, would my friends think that they were impressive? Would my parents like him? Like kind of those resume things. It really helps you tune into how was the experience with that person. And so how this relates is after the first date, fill out the post-date eight, go out with them again, fill it out again. If you feel like it's trending upwards where you like them more and more each time, that's a great sign. If you feel like you're still neutral or it's going down, I would call it. And the point is look for someone who does grow and who your interest in them grows over time. There's like a difference between the spark and like wanting to like immediately like kiss totally. them mid conversation. And then there's the point of like, this person's not asking me any questions. I'm carrying this. Like there's a difference between like that and like just a plain bad date where it's like, I want to end this date early. But I love that, that there's, you know, that checklist of questions to ask yourself. And I think there's a lot of like, tuning in to yourself as part of dating. And one of my questions, as most of my listeners are going through breakups, is like a lot of them are very mistrusting. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, I know a lot of my audience dealt with a partner who all of a sudden like didn't want to commit or mm -hmm. maybe not all of a sudden just was emotionally unavailable. And so, you know, their question with dating is like, how do I ask those? Like, how do I gauge that? How do I know if someone's on the same yeah. track for marriage and, and those kind of things? Yeah. I mean, I'm super interested in breakups too. Like very happy to talk about that. I think it's just so fascinating. And, you know, it's been a while since I've gone through a breakup, but it really is like just such a heart-wrenching experience. And I have a lot of yeah. empathy for people going through it. In terms of that question, I've just more and more become a huge fan of what's called hardballing. Have you heard that term? Mm -mm. It's like a popular dating term. It basically means that during the pandemic, people were like, all right, I'm running out of time. I lost two years here. I don't want to waste time. I'm going to cut to the chase. And so on an early date, people would say something like, hey, you know, I've been dating for a while. I feel like I know what I want. Looking to get married in the next few years. What about you? What are you looking for? And so like, I don't sound desperate. I'm not like, you better not be wasting my time. Yeah. And if you're not looking to get married, why am I here? You're saying like, here's some background on me. Here's through self-knowledge what I'm looking for. I am opening up a space for you to tell me what you're looking for. And hopefully you would feel comfortable to say something like, I just got out of a breakup and actually I'm not looking for something serious. And that's fine. Now I know. And so yeah. I talk to so many people who three months in are like, well, we broke up and I finally asked if he wanted kids and he said no. And if I'd known that we shouldn't have dated. It's like, why during the breakup could you ask that? But you couldn't have talked about it before. And so I really, really, really try to get people to have the hard conversation, share what's going on. And it's like, why don't you? Oh, because you have fear that if you talk about it, you might lose the person. When to me, I'm like, rationally, if sharing your truth means that you were going to break up, that was going to happen eventually. Like I'd rather yeah. happen it now than in the future. And so like, I'm really, really passionate about people having hard conversations from the beginning. Yeah. And I, I feel like I finally reached that point because I got broken up with three times in a row because the person couldn't commit. And by, so by the end of dating, I was like, I'm just going to ask in the very beginning, because I'm I'm just done wasting this time. But I do think there's this people still think it's very like, quote unquote, needy or mm -hmm. pushy or and you're not asking, do you want to marry me? You're just saying, like, do you see yourself getting married in any kind of timeline here? I love that point. I think that's so smart. And honestly, it's like there's so many ways to say it. It's like, 
oh, I just was talking to my friend and he's looking at preschools for his kid. And he went to tour this preschool and the guy's like, I'm not really interested in doing customer service. Like I run the preschool the way I want and that's how it is. And I was just like, yes, great. That's probably not the right preschool for you because you probably want customer service. But like that person was just being real about who they are. And it's like he lost a customer, but he lost a customer who wouldn't have been the right customer anyway. And like, can we all get to that place where it's like, if you know yourself and you share what's actually going on, you're going to get to the right partner faster. Sure. You'll turn some people off. You're turning off the people who you weren't meant to be with anyway, because you're looking for different things. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And I was taking a business class and they were talking about with like a brand should be a magnet. It should highly Mm -hmm. attract certain people and it should completely repel other people. And that's kind of you can't be for everybody. Have you guys like explored like best like questions to ask on dates to like help kind of maybe not get right to the hardball, but to help really show who you are or get to know the other person? Yeah, well, one thing I was going to add is that we did this really great research at Hinge last year answering the question of when should you tell someone that you're looking for a serious relationship? And right, there's like different places you could put it, right? You could put it on your profile. You could say it in a message before you meet up. You could say it on the first date. You could say it on the 10th date, right? And what we found was that actually putting it on your profile is a really good technique. And what we did was we had this experiment with 12,000 different participants. And some participants were looking for a serious relationship and some weren't. And those participants they would look at different profiles and some said, you know, I'm looking for a long-term relationship and some didn't. And what ended up happening was that if you were looking for a serious relationship and the person's profile said it, you were much more likely to message them. If you weren't looking for a serious relationship and the person said they were in their profile, you were less likely to message them. And so long story short, that really helped filter people out and you got more messages from the kind of people you're trying to turn on and less messages from the kind of people that you don't want to meet up with. And so it was very efficient. And so, so it's like, sure, maybe your number of matches might go down, but it's from the people who are really looking for the same thing as you. And those are the ones who are reaching out. And so I would just say like everything suggests that being upfront about it is really valuable. In terms of questions to ask, I'm really a big fan of modeling. And so just speaking to the way I want somebody to speak. And so that's why in the example before I said that thing about like, yeah, I've been single for a while, like had a chance to date a lot of different people, like you know, had my fun, you know, spent some months in New York, like did this and that. But now I just really feel like I'm ready to meet someone and I'd love to get married. And so I'm sharing and I don't seem like overly serious. Like I popped out of the womb wanting to get married and I'm letting you know my story and now you can share yours. And I think that if you just start from a question, the person doesn't necessarily know what you're looking for, but by answering the question and then asking the question, I think that you make it a lot easier for someone to engage with you in an honest way, which is the point, right? If you back somebody into a corner and you make it seem like the only way that they can stay on the date with you is giving one answer, that's how you end up incentivizing people to sort of tell you what they think you want to hear. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. So another thing that I wanted to bring up too was this I get a lot of questions from people who are quote unquote older. And I will say Mm -hmm. older in quotes because Mm -hmm. like I have people in their early 30s saying that they're older. And then I have people like in their 50s saying that they're older. So that's this is like a very subjective category. Like, what are your thoughts on that idea of like the whole like running out of time? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know people find love at any age, but like, what are you seeing as an expert 
in this area and can hopefully, you know, provide some some hope for people who are, you know, feeling very behind. Yeah. I mean, I like how you phrase that question because the last thing that I need to do is add more time anxiety. Like yeah. if you've been looking to find someone and you're thinking about your fertility and this and that, like the last thing I need to do is be like, get more serious about dating. It's like, you are serious about dating. You just haven't met someone yet. Or maybe you did meet someone and they just broke up with you. And so, yeah, I won't add to that. I would say that from working with people across all ages, like in my last class that I taught, we had students from their twenties to their seventies. One thing that really stuck out to me was that I don't think necessarily that the older you get or the more dates you go on, the wiser you get. I think that you really have to make a conscious choice to do something different. And that's what's so interesting. It's like maybe in your 50s, you realize that actually you want to date women and that's what you've always wanted to do, but you haven't been honest with yourself about it. And then you do that and suddenly this whole world of romance and sex opens up to you. Or maybe for someone else, it's that they've always been so concerned about somebody's education level or where they were from. And then they're like, who cares what my snobby family thinks? Like, I'm going to do things my way. And so it doesn't automatically happen to you when you turn 40 or 50. You really have to take a moment to be like, what have I been doing? What can I do differently? And what are the things that really matter? And what are the things that don't? And so I say that, and I hope that it gives people a sense of empowerment because if you make changes, if you go after a different type of person, if you are willing to expose yourself to different environments and things like that, like what could open up for you. And so it's not that time guarantees that growth, but that you can make a decision to create that growth. I love that. And I feel like I saw another thing that you talk about of like, a lot of people say that we'll say that dating is a numbers game. Yeah. And I know you don't yeah. agree with that. Yeah, that's exactly the same idea. It's like yeah. I've had clients that are like, Logan, I've been on 100 dates during the pandemic and there's no good men out there. And I'm like, 100 dates is so many dates. You likely oh met God. someone who would have been a great partner. You are the common denominator. Like you are the person who's going on all these dates and what can we change? And so I really try to work with that person and be like, is it a negative attitude? Are you walking into the date saying this isn't going to work out? Is it that you are cold and people think that you don't like them, even though you do, is it that you don't give people a chance, whatever it is. And so really helping people understand that, yes, you have to go on a certain number of dates. You can't just sit at home, but the answer isn't always more dates because at the end of the day, what really matters is how you're showing up, what your attitude is, if you're open-minded, if you give people a chance, if you double down on the things that matter and ignore the things that don't, and that's so much more important than saying like this year I'm going to go on a date a week. I actually remember when I was single, I had a friend that was like, she's like, I'm doing five dates a week. And I'm like, and so mm -hmm. I, I called a mentor of mine and I was like, I'm going to do five, five <laughs> dates a week. And she's like, she's like, Kendra, some people are like all you can eat buffet people. And like some people are like single entree kind of people. And she's like, I think you're like a single entree kind I of person. That. She was like, let's stick to like one at a time here instead of trying to to go all out. I actually circling back to what you were saying earlier about like breakups and dating. What I know a lot of people ask me, like, should I talk about exes past relationships on on dates? Is that something valuable that helps the person I'm dating know me better? Or or is that something that you think is like not necessary? Oh, wait, you cut out for a second. Is which oh. thing sharing? 
I get asked a lot, do people think that or should people talk about their exes and past relationships on dates? Or is that like kind of an unnecessary thing? Or is that like adding valuable information to the person you're on a date with? I had like an internal conversation at Hinge recently where we were having that conversation and I was like, I just don't think that's a first date conversation. It feels a little bit like baggage. And so, you know, going back to the example I gave before, like, I think it's totally fine to be like, you know, I've been dating for a while or I got out of a relationship, but it had really ended months before when we were still dating. Like, I think sharing about where you are now is very appropriate, but there just feels something about saying like, I broke up with my ex because he lied to me or this and that. It just feels like you're bringing this negative energy into an interaction that should have some levity and should be fun. Yeah. Being said, I'm totally fine being wrong. If people want to say to me like vulnerability and emotional availability on a first date is so important. And one of the best ways to do that is by talking about your exes. Like I'm completely fine with that idea. And so I think it's mostly like understanding what's the point of a first date. And for me, it's like the point of a first date is have fun, make a connection, see if you get along, have an experience together and really say like, do I want to do this again? And I don't think that talking about your exes really needs to be a part of that first experience. Yeah, I tend to agree because I feel like you're like giving this person like you're placing it on them that they need to like make up for the fact that like your ex like lied to you or whatever. And, you know, I don't know. I just feel like it kind of put something on the other person that isn't necessarily theirs. Right. I totally agree. So my last question is, you know, as someone who works for a dating app, do you have some like, because I hear a lot about like dating app, like date app, Mm -hmm. dating app burnout and anxiety that it can sometimes cause. Do you have like some best practices on how to utilize dating apps in a healthy way that you can maintain your sanity? Yeah, there's a couple tips that I would keep in mind. So one is the research at Hinge. We found that some of the people that are most overwhelmed with dating are the ones that get a ton of incoming likes and are just like, how do I manage all of this? And who do I respond to? And they just sort of go through who likes them and they're not really reaching out to people. And it would sort of be like if you wanted a new job and you only responded to recruiters who message you on LinkedIn versus like yeah. applying to a job you want. And so maybe this is counterintuitive, but we found that proactively going after what you want and really feeling like you're in the driver's seat of your dating life actually helps you feel less burned out because part of the burnout is feeling like, oh, I'm not in control and taking the reins helps overcome that. So that was one thing. For some people, they might just be like, no, 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 I need a break. And I think for them, it's totally fine. Like most people these days do meet on dating apps, right? The numbers, we have research from Stanford from 2019 that, you know, 39% of straight couples, 65% of queer ones are meeting online. And so I think not using the apps in general probably isn't the best strategy unless you're someone who really knows how to meet a lot of people in person. But besides that, I would say this just has to be part of your dating routine. And so I think taking a break could look like I'm going to take a break and really work on myself. I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to read interesting books. I'm going to develop some hobbies. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to make myself a better person so that I'm happier and more magnetic and have more to talk about on dates. And so it's fine to take breaks to recharge, but I worry when people take breaks for too long because realistically, this is just how the majority of people are meeting right now. Yeah. And for, you know, because I know people will say like, oh, dating apps are just, you know, not for me. And you're right. Like that is the place to unless, you know, you have like this huge 
like extended social circle, it feels, you know, not necessarily wise to cut something completely out. And typically it's because of, you know, maybe a couple bad experiences, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everything yeah. is going to be like that. And I'm sure that's like another thing that adds to someone who walks into dates or opens the app and expects like not good things to happen. Like totally. kind of the yeah. attitude that we approach yeah, yeah. it with. Right. If you just were betrayed by somebody and then when you go on dates, you feel like you can't trust them. Yeah. I think it makes sense to take a break and learn how to trust again. I think all of those things are true, but in my book, I talk about this type of dater called a hesitator where they're like, oh, I couldn't possibly date yet. You know, I need to work on myself. I'm not dateable. I'm not lovable. And instead of they should be doing that in parallel with dating, like you can go to therapy and date, you can go to the gym and date. And so I think it's a false idea that you need to do all that work and then date. You can do that work while you're dating. I get asked that a lot too of like, do people, can people date when they're not entirely mm -hmm. over their ex? And I say, yeah, because honestly, sometimes dates shine the light of like where you still, you know, need some attention. Like, oh, I went on this date and kind of this came up and it was like, oh, I might not have known that that was something that was still bothering me had I not, you know, gone on the date. So I feel like dating is like a nice like lab where you can learn I about totally yourself, agree. learn about other, you know, what you yeah. like and don't like in partners. Yeah. Maybe you're going through a breakup or you've, you've recently gone through a breakup and you go on a date and you come home and you cry in the bathroom. And you're like, yep, not over it. Need to take yeah. more time. Or you come home and you're like, I feel the best I felt in months. Like I remembered what it's like to have a crush on someone and to feel attracted and to feel attractive. And so I love what you said about it being a lab. I think it's really a chance to say like, I'm not really going to know how I feel until I put myself out there. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your expertise. I definitely recommend everyone to pick up your book. Yay, Could you share a little you. bit about where people can connect with sure. you? And yeah. we'll put all your links in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. I have a fun quiz on my website, loganyuri.com, where people can figure out what kind of dater they are. And I send out a weekly newsletter. And then people can follow me on Instagram at loganyuri. And they can pick up my book, at you know Amazon or any local bookstore. And then I also read the audiobook. So if they're interested in that, they can check that out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Logan, yeah, for, so much for sharing all that with us. And um, I know people are going to get so much out of this episode. Yay. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie, where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. 